told you. I told you the Big East was going to get four teams into the NCAA tournament. I didn't tell you Georgetown would be the fourth team, but I did say they would get four. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Tri-State College Basketball Report. My name is Brian DiNovellis, and what a show we have for you this week. Not only will we break down Rutgers and UConn's first-round matchups in the NCAA tournament, but there are two more teams from the Tri-State. They're also going dancing, Iona and the University of Hartford. We'll talk about them as well. And to assist me in this episode, we need a floor general. We need a guy who sets up his teammates, distributes the rock, none other than an old friend of mine, an old dear friend from the south end of Hartford, Connecticut. We call it Little Italy. He started South Catholic High School. Three years after I graduated, played on the same court. He won a state title under legendary head coach Joe Riley. I'm a little jealous, but he won that state title with a great group of guys. Then he went on to record, get this, 387 career assists in 101 career games at Brandeis. He is now the head coach at Sacred Heart University. Just wrapped up his eighth season with the Pioneers. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Report, Coach Anthony Latina. Coach, great to talk to you. Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate that introduction. I I don't know if anyone's called me a floor general in a long, long time. <laughs> Matter of fact, this is the 30-year anniversary of our state championship. We're trying to get together here, hopefully if COVID allows us. That's right. 30 years. Can you believe it's been 30 oh, years crazy. since you were... I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm 30 years old. I don't know if I, I was like 31, 32. I, said, I told my wife, the other day, I said, was I playing high school basketball when I was one or two? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel that way, but the body tells us otherwise, right? Yeah, no question. So, Coach... Wow, eight years at Sacred Heart. You know, you go up to battle all, all throughout the Northeast Conference this season. But let's face it, before we get into the NCAA tournament, I want to talk about just navigating through what was a season unlike any other. And I know COVID hit your program hard, too. So what was this season like from a coaching perspective? You know, it certainly was, you know, there's challenges to coaching. It's a, it's a tough profession. It's a difficult profession. But it was so different. You know, you, you really worried about your guys, the things that they had to do to sacrifice, the things they had to sacrifice above and beyond what they normally sacrifice to just play a season was, was incredible. Um, we had two stops before the season started, two 14 day stops. So we had guys before we even played a game that were in quarantine for 28 days. Matter of fact, our second 14 day stop was, was, uh, we probably had four practices before we played Rutgers in the opening game of the year. And then the day after the Rutgers game, we had another 10-day uh, quarantine because at that point it got changed to 10 days. So uh, you really had to have that empathy for the guys because it, it was, just for the average college student, it was a difficult year. But now when you're an athlete, you have to isolate as much as you do. And, and these guys really had to make sacrifice because you know we were getting tested by NC rule or NC mandate three times a week. And you know, these guys did not have much of a life other than class. You know, most of the time it was uh, is remote and practice and back into the room. So uh, they really, really did a great job, and, and I'm proud of them. And and hopefully we'll be better for it in the long run. Listen, I, I hope we don't have to go through a season like this again next year. But we're going into the postseason now, and what is it like for these? 
tournament teams? I know they're already out there quarantining now. Do you have any friends out there, and are they telling you what they're doing in Indiana? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, I think the hardest thing about this year is just the uncertainty. You know, we were talking off the air about games being canceled. A game was never canceled prior to this year. Canceling a game was like, what happened? There had to be a really catastrophic event or a weather-related event that was of epic proportions to even consider canceling a game. And right. now, it was the norm. So I think, you know, most of those guys now that are in the NCAA tournament, people know this, once you qualified for the NCAA or you even thought you might qualify for the NCAA tournament, you started testing. Uh, you had to have seven straight negative tests. So by the time you get out there, it's pretty safe not for the most part. And there's no certainty in, in, in these times, but that most of these guys are going there negative. Well, their their whole party. So, because they probably wouldn't have got on the plane to go to Indianapolis. But now they're isolating as well because, you know, you want to make sure you've earned the right to play in the NCAA tournament and you don't want to do anything. And I'm sure the NCAA protocols, you know, I, I just exchanged text messages. You know, most of these guys are uh, like the friends that are coaching or, you know, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. So you don't want to distract them. But they are in, in pretty much isolation, which is which is a little bit... Uh, makes me sad as someone who's coached, who has had the, the good fortune of coaching in the NCAA tournament as an assistant. I mean, it is an experience of a lifetime, and part of the experience is having the open practice and being greeted by a lot of people. Yes. Well, that dynamic is probably not there because these coaches want to make sure that they, they get to the get to the game. So it's it's it will take a little bit away from the experience for these kids uh, because part of the experience is just the pomp and circumstance and the excitement of being at a location and being greeted by, you know, everyone has a host and all those kind of great things. I mean, it's really, uh, it's really a special thing and, and a unique experience. So it's going to be different in that regard, but it's still, it's still a, 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 just an honor and a privilege to have the opportunity to represent your university in the NCAA tournament. So I know that the people that I spoke to that are, that are playing, some of my good friends are super excited for the opportunity and, um, and, and and not taking it for granted, but it, it is not a normal situation or not the normal NCAA experience for the players in that regard. Right, and so much of it, especially for the coaches, is that social aspect as well and talking and learning from each other. Uh, that's going to be missing, but hopefully the games will go on. We hope that there will be no team that has to bow out like we saw with Kansas and Virginia in in their conference tournament. So. Like you said, let, let's hope they stick to the stick to the course of action and stick to the plan, and and we could still see some high level of games on the court. So, coach, let's talk about the four teams in the tri-state, and let's begin with Rutgers. We know they're going to the tournament for the first time in thirty years. Talk about thirty years, right? The last time you won a state championship, <laughs> right, in high school, Rutgers was there. So how ironic is that? You played Rutgers this year. The first game, and then you, you you shut down the next day, right? So you know a little bit about this Rutgers team. Give us a scouting report. Well, uh, in the name of full disclosure, obviously Steve Pike was a good friend of mine. We worked together in Central Connecticut, um, so I, I am uh, even more familiar with them than just playing them. Just because I do follow them, I, I will say this: other than the game we played, I root very hard for Rutgers uh, because of our friendship. But they're an extremely well coached team. They're a veteran team. They're very physical. Uh, they're they're built on defense and rebounding. And um, 
they have great length. Obviously, they have you know one of the best defense players in the country, Miles Johnson. Uh, but but you know throughout their roster, they have guys that are that are very disruptive and make you feel very uncomfortable. So you know when we played them, you know, certainly uh, it was well, I was very proud of the way we played that we were able to hang in there because they're so difficult to score on. When they are at their best, they're getting really good individual efforts. You know, certainly from their three perimeter guys and in Ron Harper, uh, Jacob Young, and Geo Baker. I mean, those those three guys, when they are, uh, when Rutgers is at their best, uh, those guys really have it going uh, offensively. So, and the other thing I think is worth talking about is just how far this program has come in, in such a short time. You know, this was unthinkable um, just five years ago uh, that, that Rutgers is a legitimate, you know, top 25 type team that, that, uh, I don't. I think he'll be a fashionable pick by a lot of people uh, of getting to the second weekend. Any team that plays defense like Steve Peichel's team does can get to the next round and the next night. So, but they're going up against a team in Clemson that also plays tremendous defense. So Rutgers, Clemson. Uh, the game is nine twenty p.m. Friday night. Uh, they're going to be playing at an M- NBA arena, right? Where the NBA, where the uh, Indiana Pacers play. So, and and I'll say this: I think both teams have a legitimate, you know, chance where they think that hey, we can win. Because I know Rutgers fans are like, wait a minute, we got Clemson, we avoided Gonzaga and and Baylor in the one line, and Clemson fans are probably saying, wait a minute, we got Rutgers, we avoided the one line. So, I think you're going to see two very uh, high-level defensive teams. Clemson really comes at it defensively. And I wouldn't be surprised if the first team to 60 wins this game, Coach. No, no question. And I think the one thing that both teams, uh, and this is why it's such an intriguing matchup, is they're not going to be um, uh, kind of uh, frustrated by a low-scoring game. You know, sometimes you'll have a high-scoring team come in and then all of a sudden the score... Uh, with, with four minutes to go in the first half is is 16 to 16. Well, both Rutgers and Clemson are very comfortable playing at that pace in those numbers. So I think that's a major advantage for, for both those teams. And it's a shame they didn't change because if they had played a little bit more of a high-powered offense, either team, I think they could have really frustrated the other team. But I think Rutgers is comfortable in that. And, and I think a big key in these NCAA tournaments are a lot of these come down to the wires. You're going to need to make some individual plays. And um, and hopefully, and I'm, I'm much more familiar with Rutgers than with Clemson, but hopefully between Baker, Young, and Harper, and I'm saying hopefully because I am rooting for Rutgers, uh, like I said earlier, can make those individual plays. Because, you know, Baker has a, a history of, of making some clutch plays, and Jake Bianca has been so good all year that I think, um, you know, if the ball's in their hands, then, then I think, you know, there are good things that have chance to happen. So, and uh, I, I think that uh, the winner of this game could certainly, could certainly get to the get to the Sweet 16. And if Rutgers does win, they would likely play Houston in the yeah. second round. Now, a couple of players to look out for in Clemson, Coach. One is Amir Sims, six foot eight, one of the best power forwards in the country. He's a finalist for the Carl Malone Award. He is going to be a big body in the middle. But Rutgers is used to seeing big bodies in the middle, whether it's. Kofi Coburn, or whether it's Travion Williams from Purdue. Another one's a point guard, and I'm sure you've seen him on the recruiting circuit because you recruit in New Jersey. A kid out of the Patrick School, Alamere Dawes. He is actually their second leading scorer, nine points a game. 
Do you have you seen either of those players? And do you remember them? I saw Alabama play out of high school. He's obviously a dynamic player. Patrick School is 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 a you know legendary program um, from the you know Kyrie Irving days to the Al Harrington days to the Kid Gilchrist days. I mean, so it's it's a high level program. He's, he's used to play against great players. Listen, he's he's a terrific player. Um, obviously, the big fella. I've I've only I've only seen highlights of him. I have not seen him play live. I think. One of the reasons why I think this is a very intriguing matchup is Miles Johnson may be the best post defender in the country. I mean, he's a guy who, who, you know, Rutgers has the luxury. Rutgers will will very rarely double down in the post because they are so comfortable and confident in Miles being able to handle people on one. So that will be an interesting thing to to, to watch is will will Rutgers uh, try to double or will they go with what they've done all year and – you know, give Miles that assignment, which which he has done, uh, you know, so well. So, so that, that that I think that matchup is something that you know for, for basketball fans to, to watch is kind of the game within the game, and and, and seeing if if Miles can can handle the big fella from Clemson one on one and and see how that plays out. I agree. So you like Rutgers? I like I Rutgers. Like Rutgers in a close, low scoring. Yes. Game. I do. Uh, I try to put the bias aside, obviously, but uh, I think I think. I think the Big Ten it was a, it was a better league. Uh, I think Rutgers is a little more battle tested. Uh, I think they're a little more veteran. So I think Rutgers, you know, wins in a in a relatively close game. But I do like them in a close game. I like Rutgers as well. I'm going to go 58-56. Clemson misses a shot at the buzzer because Rutgers has excellent defense. Okay, <laughs> next matchup. Number seven UConn, number ten Maryland, Saturday seven ten p.m. Mackey Arena on the campus of Purdue. The winner of that game gets Alabama or Iona. Both teams play excellent defense. Maryland, second in the Big Ten, allowing 65 points per game. Dan Hurley, defense is his trademark. They're first in the Big East at allowing 64 points per game. This is probably going to be another low-scoring game in the 60s somewhere. We were actually supposed to play UConn this year, but our, our shutdown during the season canceled that game. Uh, but we did play them the year before. Uh, Danny Hurley was doing a tremendous job. Um, I did coach against – when I was an assistant here at St. Carolina, I coached against Danny when he was at Wagner and, and certainly we've recruited his players That's when he was at St. Benedict's. And he's a terrific coach. Uh, he gets his guys to play super hard and defend. Uh, he's really done a tremendous job, him and his staff, of, of recruiting. Defense is, is their – uh, is their mantra? They, they, they really they hold people to forty one percent from the field. Um, their defensive efficiency is, is one of the best in the Big East, if not in the country. Um, they are they rebound the ball at an extremely high level. You know they're plus five uh, in the rebound department. So whenever you rebound and defend like that, you have a chance at a game. But they're also becoming a little more dynamic offensively. You know they have one of the best players in the country, James Booknight, who is uh, you know he's going for forty in a game this year. He averages 19 points a game. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I actually helped UConn, I think, and will help them going forward is, you know, Book Knight had missed uh, a decent amount of time. And in that time, they took a couple losses, but other guys kind of had to expand their role and step up. And I think that helped R.J. Cole specifically, their point guard, who was a, was a, uh, played for uh, Coach Hurley's dad. Played for That's right, St. Anthony. Hurley. That's right. Bobby Hurley, legendary coach and, and – uh, RJ was a transfer from from Rucker, uh, from uh, Howard, and uh, he really kind of emerged. And, and to be honest with you, 
I think if, if you watch them in the Big East tournament, they lost a close game to Creighton. Um, R.J. Cole went down with an injury, kind of hit his head, got stitches, had kind of concussion-like symptoms. And I think that's a major factor if he's ready to play. Because they, I mean, obviously, Book Knight is their best player, but I think R.J. Cole has kind of emerged as their leader in their engine. So um, there's a very high likelihood that UConn will have the best player on the court in, in their first game and if they win their second game. And when you have that, and you defend and rebound like they do, um, you have a chance to win these close games because Book Knight can make some plays down the stretch, and Cole has given him that secondary dynamic playmaker uh, to make plays down the stretch. So I think, you know, if you're a UConn fan, <laughs> you have to be excited about what you're seeing uh, with the resurgence of their program. This is a team that definitely can get into the second weekend, and I think they're a year away from being a legitimate national championship contender. A couple of things that you mentioned, R.J. Cole. Uh, he is in concussion protocol as of the recording of this podcast. So if he can't go, that's a huge loss because, as you said, he really stepped up his game and Book Knight was away. He became one of the leaders. And together, Book Knight and Cole, when they're healthy, they're one of the best backcourts in the country. So if he doesn't go, Coach, you're going to have to hand the ball over to the reins over to Jalen Gaffney, who's capable but he's still not on R.J. Cole's level. So that's one thing to look out for. Another matchup that is going to be dynamic here is the front court. Who And I, I've been praising Adama Sinogo. I think he is going to be, he's going to blow up next year. There is nobody on Maryland's roster. And I've seen a dozen of their games this year, almost every game. There is nobody on their roster that physically can handle Sinogo. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Turgeon doubles him in the post at times. No, no question. I mean, Snogo's really emerged. You know, he was an all-rookie team. Uh, you know, was, was right there for rookie of the year in the Big East. He's a, he's a very, you know, he, for a freshman, you can tell he was well-coached in high school, but, and, 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 and UConn staff has done a good, good job developing. He, he really has a lot of poise in the post. Um, you know, and he's a guy, and, and throwing the ball to, to, to players in the post is something that is kind of, uh, is not as popular now as it was maybe even four or five years ago. But, but, you know, Sunogo finishes at a high level. Uh, he has really good uh, good footwork and good hands in there. Uh, you know, I, I do agree with you. I think Maryland may think about doubling. His, his assist to ratio is, is one to two, so he's not a guy who, who will get a ton of assists. Uh, but, he, you know, it's interesting because I've seen UConn play a little bit. He hasn't been doubled as much, which is surprising because he, he does finish so efficiently in the post. Um, so that will definitely be a matchup. I mean, he has emerged as, as a – as a major, uh, as a major threat to score the ball inside, and um, you know, and, and he gets a lot of his points on offense. He's a terrific, yes. terrific offensive yes. runner as well. So, as is UConn. I mean, I think sometimes you know, especially when when Book Knight was out, their best offense a lot of times was their missed shot, whether it was Whaley or Martin, uh, really flying there, and, and you know, they're bringing Carlton off the bench and Sinogo. So they really, really, I think that's another thing to watch: is can Maryland prevent UConn from playing volleyball? Uh, on their missed shots because they they relentlessly pursue the ball and you know Sonogo is, is terrific but you know Whaley is a very underrated player as is you know Carlton who's you know he's kind of a forgotten guy but he's done a lot of really good things and he has the ability you know if Sonogo or Whaley are infallible are playing well he's a guy who gets you 10 points and, and eight rebounds in a game and that's such a luxury to have so uh, you know they're, they're, they have good depth of shooting has, has their shooting has improved. Uh, that's where Cole is so so important because you know Cole is 
is is is almost a forty percent uh, shooter from three, and and uh, so you know when you lose that, um, you know if you if you don't have that element, you know Jalen Gaffney's gonna have to come in not only run the team but make a couple points for him. Otherwise, you'll see Maryland just really uh, kind of pack it in and, and dare you kind of shoot. So you know what what could happen, especially if Coles is out, is their best offense may be the missed shot, and and that will be a big, big uh, I think a big factor in, in if, if Maryland can win that game is can they prevent UConn who is a an excellent excellent offensive rebound team from getting second shots um, especially if RJ Cole does not play right and Maryland is listen they're not big but they are a good rebounding team and and I look at Maryland like like Villanova light they're a guard oriented team so their guards against Book Knight and Cole, if Cole is healthy, that's going to be fascinating because you have Eric Ayala, you have Aaron Wiggins, Dante Scott, right? They're very guard heavy. They don't have a true center. But if those guys get going, they're a very streaky team. They can hit threes and they can hit threes from deep. So I look for Maryland to extend UConn's defense. If their threes are falling, they can beat a lot of teams, right? They, they beat Illinois this year. They beat Wisconsin this year. They beat Michigan State. They beat Rutgers. So if their threes are falling, they can beat a lot of teams. But if they're not, I think Maryland's in trouble. And, and then we'll see, you know, UConn's front court take over. Well, there's one thing, and it's similar to the Rutgers. Maryland will not be intimidated by yours, Connecticut. You know, Maryland has played the best teams in the country. I mean, the Big Ten was clearly the best league in the country. So, um, you know, where, where UConn is, is such a brand name, I, I do think there's a little bit of a uh, intimidation factor with them. I, that will not be the case with Maryland. And perimeter defense will be key. If, if UConn defends on the perimeter, um, I think UConn will advance in this game. I, that, that will be a major factor. And I think Maryland's big key is they have to make some threes and they have to limit UConn to one shot. If they can do those things, um, you know, I, I think it'll it'll be a very competitive game. But I do, I do think UConn will find a way to to win this game and, and uh, take a shot at, at getting to the Sweet 16 uh, in the second round. Should UConn win, they get the winner of Alabama and Iona. We'll get to that one in a second. Yep. I want to get to the other team from Connecticut because this is a huge story as well. Yeah. How about the University of Hartford Hawks? They've been playing Division One basketball since 1985. It only took them 37 years, right? But they finally got to the NCAA tournament. It's a great story out of the America East Conference. Uh, John Gallagher is their coach. John is, 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 is actually, again, in full disclosure, a good friend. Uh, we've competed against each other. Our, our careers have kind of married each other. We both broke into the business just about the same year. And um, John has done a wonderful job. They've had a great four-year run. He has a veteran team. Uh, you know, he's, he's originally from Philadelphia. He's He's really done a great job of building uh, a great program uh, that has has been a consistent winner now, and um, you know he's he's got uh, he's got a player in the, by the name of Tracy Carter who actually started he's, he started his career at Marquette. He was a top hundred kid out of Philly. Started at Marquette, uh, got a little homesick, went to LaSalle, and and it just wasn't a good fit for him. And he's been really. A terrific player. He's been a terrific leader for for, for Coach Gallagher and, and for University of Hartford, and, and he's really he's kind of their leader. He's not their leading scorer. Austin Williams is a transfer from Maristich, but but Tracy Carter is an elite defender, an elite leader, and he's really helped elevate that program in the last two years to the point that you know people don't know this that University of Hartford was was um, 
set to play Vermont in the championship game last year when the season was canceled because of COVID. So, it's not inconceivable to think that Hartford could be going to back-to-back right. tournaments. So, you know, so, so so John has done you know has done a great job. He's done a he's been very creative in his, his recruiting. They have uh, they've had some success with international players. Hunter Marks was, was a six-nine kind of stretch four, three-four type of player. He can make threes. Super skilled. You know, he he's been creative in his recruiting, uh, and and they've done a good job. And, and it's a credit to them. And Listen, you know, going to the NCAA tournament is not an easy thing. And, uh, you know, to, to, for, for John to put them in position on multiple occasions and find the breakthrough is, is, is a credit to him and his staff and his players. And, and I think, I think right now, obviously, they have a, a monumental task in, in playing Baylor. Um, but they are extremely well coached. They're extremely disciplined. They will run offense. They will make Baylor, they will make Baylor play defense. And uh, the one thing that I think their program, one of the reasons they took a major step is they've always been a really fun team to watch, a fluid offensive team, a team that really shares the ball. The thing that they really improved on this year is they became a very good defensive team. And I think if you ask Coach Gallagher, I think that was the biggest difference is they started stopping people. And when you watched them, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't easy to score on them anymore, or as it was as it as it was previously. So they're you know they're a veteran team. I think those guys believe. Uh, John is, has got them believing, and um, you know it's a great story. And, and, and they'll uh, they'll swing away at uh, they won't be intimidated by by Baylor. But again, it will be a very very difficult task to, to beat uh, you know one of the best teams in the country in, in Baylor. Can Hartford, a 16 seed, become only the second team in the history of the NCAA tournament as a 16 seed? UMBC was the other to knock off a number one team, but. If they do, all right, you mentioned Tracy Carter, all right, fourth in the nation in steals. So so he is a catalyst, defense turning into offense. You mentioned Austin Williams, uh, also a Jersey guy out of Seton Hall Prep. We always have to plug our Jersey guys. So that that's a good backcourt, Coach. But they're going up against, let's call it the best backcourt in college basketball. Jared Butler, just named first-team All-American along with Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague. They start three guards. So this team loves to get after it. Uh, They're physical. They've been tested in the Big 12. A monumental task, yes. But let's look back at some other ones in, in, in former years, right? You were an assistant coach at Central Connecticut as a, as a 15 seed. Uh, took Iowa State. Uh, down to the final minutes. Remember that that uh, wonderful UConn team with Jim Calhoun that went up against the 15 seed in Fairleigh Dickinson. Elijah Allen scored 41 points in that game. So it takes heroic efforts from your guards in games like these. Can Hartford get that against what many people think you know can win it all and is the second best team in the country according to the odds to win it all? Well, I think I think one of the reasons Harvard have, has had a good run is guards in college basketball. Guards are, are so important. Guard plays, you'll rarely see a team have a great year with, with, with average guard play. So I think that that is definitely uh, Harvard's strength. They had, and not only are these two guards good players, but they're veteran players. So in, in uh, especially in Tracy Carter's situation, he's played at the highest level. He's played in the Big East. So he will not be overwhelmed. Now, with that said, this Baylor team is special. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for for a you know a COVID pause, right? Another COVID they're pause. Yeah, they're, they're probably undefeated. I mean, they went through a you know they were 
undefeated for most of the season in the Big 12, which is probably the second best conference in the country behind the Big 10. No question. It's going to be a tough task. Um, I think John will have them prepared. You know, they played Villanova early. They played UConn early. Both games were fairly competitive games. So Hartford has played some some terrific, terrific teams, you know, some high seeds uh, in the tournament. Um, the longer you hang around, right. the more the seeds don't matter. Right. You know, this is what you want to do, and, and this is just from my experiences. You want to make the game as short as possible. So in a 40-minute game, the better team's going to win a lot. But now if you make it a 15- a 20-minute game, well, what if you can make it a four-minute game and you can hang in there? The longer you hang in there, the more it helps the underdog. Because now there's less possessions, there's less things. So I think you'll see Hartford control tempo. You know, I think turnovers will be a big key. If Hartford can take care of the ball, they can hang around for a little bit. And um, now Baylor gets after you. Know, they're not going to make it easy for you, and they'll turn you over and stuff. But if Hartford can prevent the turnovers and the runouts, where Baylor's just getting easy baskets, layups, and dunks in transition, um, I, I'd like to see. I think they can hang around for a little bit. Now to win the game, I think uh, a lot of things have to break their way. They have to take. Tremendous care of the ball. They're going to have to make some threes because it is so hard to score at the rim against Baylor. Um, but I, I know this in in in, in knowing uh, John Gallagher and knowing their program, uh, they are very excited for for the opportunity. And uh, I think that you'll, uh, I think people, if that's the first time they see Harvard play, will will be um, will be pleasantly surprised on 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 the level of play and, and how much they can hang in there. I'm really looking forward to that game. And you mentioned the Hartford-UConn game. Yeah, that, that was only an eight-point game with five minutes to play. So Hartford hung with UConn, ended up losing by 12. It was a close game throughout. They will not be intimidated by, by Baylor. The last team in the tri-state area to make the NCAA tournament this year, Iona. Sacred Heart, your team was hit hard by covid I don't know if there was any team in the country <laughs> that was hit harder by COVID than, than Iona. It's amazing they even were able to navigate through the season. They are a number 15 seed. They're taking on Alabama 4 p.m. Saturday, a team that averages 80 points a game. I, I, I'd like to say Iona's well-rested. They just, you know, won the MAC tournament. And here's Rick Patino in his, his, his fifth NCAA tournament, you know, with, with, with his fifth college team uh how miraculous of a story is it for iona to even be here right now and playing basketball well certainly for as long as they were paused uh, it is amazing now it doesn't surprise me first of all iona has great tradition to who's a great job but uh so that doesn't shock me but you know you know we're talking about rick patino we're talking about one of the great coaches uh in the history of of college basketball and basketball in general. No I mean, question. Had he not, had Rick Pitino not gone to the NBA, if you just look at his average wins per season, he probably would be somewhere in the top three or four most wins in the history of college basketball. I mean, this is an elite coach, an elite teacher. Um, everywhere he goes, wins. Uh, so, so this is no surprise. And I know one thing, uh, in just watching him and admiring him from afar for a long time, Iona will be ultra prepared. Um, obviously, from a personnel standpoint, Alabama's, uh, you know, and, and obviously Nate Oates has done a tremendous job as well in what he does. And, and, and you know, he, is, he believes in his system and, and, and what he does. As a matter of fact, we steal a ton of things from, from, from Alabama and okay. our own program in terms of uh, analytics and, uh, and how they kind of approach the game. But, but uh, Iona will be ultra prepared. Coach Patino has, 
you know, won national championships, and uh, I would argue one of the five best coaches in the history of college basketball. So, when you have that type of wisdom and experience on your on your bench, you know, certainly uh, <laughs> that that has to that that, that has to help. So, uh, again, Alabama has been excellent all year. They're an extremely efficient team. You know, they their style of play is you know they're a team they get a lot of points making threes or at the rim. Uh, they're extremely efficient. That's a credit to Nate Oates. He's, he is extremely innovative coach. He's done a phenomenal, phenomenal job there of really building Alabama into, you know, uh, a team that's going to be one of the elite teams, not only in the SEC, but in the country. This is the first time where they're going to kind of come into an NCAA tournament where there's an expectation here. Now, obviously, so as that game goes on and it remains a close game, you know, you can see that may affect a team that's maybe new to this situation. So, you know, keep an eye on that. It'll it'll be a an intriguing matchup, and, and whenever you know Rick Pitino is involved, you know it's it's must see TV. No question. Anthony Latina, head men's basketball coach at Sacred Heart University. Uh, it has been a blast. A catching up with you. B talking about. These four teams from our tri-state college basketball area that are going to the NCAA tournament, I'm really hoping one of them, at least one of them, maybe two, can get on to the Sweet 16, and I'll have more to talk about next week before I let you go. All right, one last thing, because there's another hot story right now in college basketball. It's the transfer portal, and every year it just seems like there are hundreds. I mean, it won't be long before there's a 1,000 kids in the transfer portal, and there's a couple of kids that Seton Hall is looking at locally. Maybe they're targeting Jameer Harris from American University, former Patrick School star, led them to the Tournament of Champions in 2017. Harris has already been contacted by Seton Hall, according to several reports. Earl Timberlake, a former uh, top 40 recruit just a couple of years ago, he had Seton Hall on his final list of five college basketball teams, along with Providence, ended up choosing Miami. He's gone after one year, so Seton Hall has reportedly contacted him. Coach, if there's anyone who knows anything about transfers, all right, Quincy McKnight, one of your stars, transfers to Seton Hall and makes a big big impact there. So if there's anyone that knows about this transfer portal, it's you at Sacred Heart. No question. We've been impacted a little bit. It's, you know, the, the transfer, you know, my feeling on transferring is, um, you know, I think a lot of people see it as, a negative. I, I don't see it that way, you know, because here's the reality. Um, for some kids, transferring is the right move. And it's the right move not only for the kid, but for the school. And so when you're in a situation where it's a win-win, why would, you know, why, how could that be a negative thing? So it is a reality. Now it's not always a positive thing. So I don't want to, you know, uh, give you that impression either because I do think some kids uh, are making a, a poor decision. But with that said, it is a reality of, of college basketball. It's something um, that coaches have to be very in tune with and aware of because you can make your program a lot better, you know, especially, you know, like the players that you mentioned uh, that are, have already certainly entered the transfer portal that can be an you know, immediate impact um, for their programs, especially, you know, because what you're doing is you're getting an older player instead of a young kid, you get someone who has had success at the college level. So, you know, certainly, um, and with the rules, probably changing where, where transfers, where there'll be a one-time exception where transfers can be eligible immediately. So that certainly 
um, change the dynamic. The other thing that really changes the dynamic of transferring is because we've had such a strange year with the coronavirus, this year, and I don't know if all, all, everyone will know this, but this year does not count as a year. Correct. Basically, what the NCAA said is this year is like it never existed. So if you were a senior, you could come back and play again. Now, someone who's been out of school for four years and who's already graduated may want a different challenge. I think the, the, the biggest thing is, and, and take any transfer, I think the key is, is you know, as a coach, you have to know what you value and what's important to you. And, and then when you when you explore a transfer, it's like exploring any other group. Do they value the same things that you value? Are the things that are important to you important to them? And if the answer is yes, then I think, you know, I, I think uh, recruiting transfers is, is is a intelligent and efficient way to keep your program at a high level. And I think Seton Hall has done a good job of that. Obviously, Quincy was excellent for them, and he, you know, helped them have a just a, a historic year last year. And and I think that the, the names that you said, those are, those are good players that can you know, continue to help Seton Hall and other programs. Um, I mean, well, Jacob Young was a transfer. For records and, and you know how that's right from Texas yeah so so I think it's it's something that um, you know it's it's something that is is here to stay and it's something that is going to have to be managed by everybody not only in recruiting players but knowing that you're going to lose a few players every year that's just it's part of the deal now and it will certainly you know the, the right one or two transfers certainly can change the whole complexion of a team's outlook for next year instantly all right, Anthony Latina, Sacred Heart is, is such a lucky program to have you. It has been awesome catching up with you. Your insight is is incredible on all of these teams that we talked. And man, I could talk hoops for you for hours, Coach. So right, thank you for having me. This was this was it, was it was great to catch up, and it was great to talk basketball. And this is heck, this is the best time of year. If, if, if you if you're a sports fan and you don't enjoy March Madness, then then I, then I don't know what to say. Uh, but this is exciting and. And it's great, it's great to have the NCAA tournament back. Amen. It's been two years and 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 it, it feels that long too. So hey, continued success at Sacred Heart University. And uh I hope you get that 30th year reunion today, uh, this year with the boys from South Catholic and my alma mater as well. So so when you see them, tell them I said hello. All right. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Anthony Latina, men's basketball coach, Sacred Heart University. That is a wrap on episode two of the Tri-State College Basketball Report. What a show, talking hoops in the Tri-State. Hey, enjoy the tournament, enjoy all the games. My name is Brian Dinovellis. Remember to follow me on Twitter, at Brian Dino. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.